Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Ephesians, Who We Are and What We Do in Christ, and was preached on October 24th, 2021. We are in the second half of the uh, book of Ephesians, and Paul is teaching us the Christian life. Part one, this is who we are, and part two that we're in now is therefore, this is how we live. And today, Paul gives us 10 commands and characteristics of the Jesus way. Now, understand the flow. Remember who we are. We're followers of Jesus. We are God's holy ones. We are the saints. And since we have committed our lives to Jesus, we are under an obligation and a command to live the Jesus way. It's part of the promise that we all made when we said, I will follow you. Now, I do want you to understand, there's nothing vague about the Jesus way. It is very specific. If you are a Christian, then there are characteristics that God is building into your life. They're not optional. It's something that God is doing, and they are commands. And one of the reasons why we see so many unfulfilled, backslidden, and fruitless Christians today is that we have not taken these characteristics and commands seriously. And so many churchgoers are at war with themselves. God says, this is who you are, and yet we often say, no, this is who I am. I'll do it my way. Just so you'll know, if you're at war with yourself, you're really at war with God. Uh, wonder who's going to win that war. Think about it, because I really want you to get in step with Jesus, and you will begin to grow astronomically. The Christian way of life is so clear and specific that others should be able to look at us and see it. We won't need bumper stickers or proclamations or memes on social media to identify who we are. Our own characteristics, the way we live and the way we love, should proclaim, I follow Jesus. And then and only then will our words be filled with God's power. Let me describe some people so you get the idea of what I'm talking about. Just, I'm just going to describe, not by name, but by category, some, some people, and then you tell me who I'm talking about. Who am I? I get up before the sun. I'm more comfortable on a tractor or in a pickup than I am in a car. I pay unusual attention to the weather and I almost always end the day with dirt under my fingernails. Who am I? I said not names, categories. A farmer. Okay? You see it. You can look at someone and how they live and what they do, and you know who I'm talking about. Okay, here's another category of people. I'm crazy about my football team. I often paint my face silver and black on game days, and I put on chains and spikes and eye patches and carry signs that say, just win, baby. <laughs> Who am I? A crazy Raiders fan. I, on the other hand, am a dignified Raiders fan. <laughs> Another thing. Yeah, yeah, okay. Okay, okay, okay. Another one. I speak in legalese, and I love to debate 
constitutional issues. I work hard to look dignified and wise, and I often wear a black robe when I'm working. A judge. You can see the point there. You can look at what a person does and how they live, and you can immediately, you never met them before, but you know who they are. That should be the way it is for Christians. Someone were to describe us, didn't say anything about church because our text won't, didn't say anything about carrying a Bible because our text won't, but someone should be able to look at us and describe us, and it should lead them to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that we are Christians. I want you to think about that as we read our passage. It's Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 through 5-7. And I just realized I didn't change the slide from a couple of weeks ago on uh, that one. But I want you to stand and read as we read Ephesians 4, beginning with verse 25. These are both descriptions of and commands to Christians. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for you are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work, doing something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality, or of any kind of impurity, or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving." For this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. You may be seated. That is a powerful description and commands to Christians on how we are to live. And there's at least 10 commands in this passage that help describe the way of Jesus. And this way of life, the way of Jesus, should describe us exactly. For there is nothing vague about the Jesus way of life. This is who we are, and this is how we should live. So let's go through these 10 specific commands that we are to live by. And the first one is this. We are to speak truth. The court oath, you're probably familiar with that, is as great a commentary on this truth as you will find anywhere. It applies to everything we speak, write, or post. And by the way, this is not just an American thing. 
You look up this court oath and you will see that some version of it is in use in most countries. In England, the court oath says this, I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And that should describe Christians, whether we're giving an oath, whether we promise, whether we pledge, or on a day-to-day basis. There's no exception for politics. There's no exception for relationships. There's no exception for business. There's no exception for social media. Our words are not to be deceptive in any way. We're not to shade, to exaggerate, to deceive, to leave out details in order to give a false impression, to pass on unverified information, or to outright lie. The truth there is Jesus is the truth, therefore his people speak truth. That's the way of Jesus. Number two, we are to resolve anger quickly. Verse 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. So understand what he's saying. Anger itself is not sin, but Paul warns that if it's not dealt with immediately that day, the same day before the sun goes down, it will give the devil a foothold into who we are. Anger puts us on the threshold of harsh words, of dishonesty, of violence, and of stupidity. So believers are called to resolve anger when it happens. I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm going to take it to God. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to love you and move on. And you've met lots of people who hang on to anger. They're they're hard to live with, hard to be around, and impossible to recognize as Jesus' followers. Now, I want you to understand something, and I want you to be warned. The world wants you to be angry. Think about that. The world wants you to be angry. News, networks, purposely, very blatantly stoke anger. Because then you'll come back and you'll listen to him and get the, the latest episode in why you should hate X. Politicians purposely stir up anger. For angry people are more likely to give to them and to go out and vote. Social media Facebook admitted it this week, though, in some documents. Social media loves anger and stokes anger. Because then you come back and you spend more time there and they make more money from advertisers. Jesus' followers refuse, I mean absolutely refuse, to hold on to anger. I will deal with this before the day is done. It's who we are as followers of Jesus. We speak truth. We resolve anger quickly. Number three, Paul says we work hard and we're generous. Anyone who has been stealing, he said, must steal no longer, (coughs) but must work doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. 
Now you'll notice that there's three ideas that converge here. Don't steal. That was your way of life before Christ. You took advantage of people. You took things that didn't belong to you rightfully. So don't steal. Instead, work hard. Do something useful with your hands that contributes to your family and, and your community and your culture. And then number three, and this is specifically Christian, because the Jesus reason for doing so is different than the world reason for doing so. The world reason for working hard is work hard and store up for yourself. The Jesus reason, Paul said, is work hard so you can be generous with others. It's not about me, it's about you. And so work hard and be generous is the Jesus way of life. Number four, speak only what is helpful. 29 and 30, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So understand, and I know this is common in the world, but we're called to be different. Talk that is designed to hurt others grieves the Holy Spirit of God. And when a believer participates in it, when a church participates in it, they are dampening the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. Name, calling, grieves God's Holy Spirit. Put down, designed to embarrass or anger, grieves God's Holy Spirit. And when Christians participate in this, we are limiting the work of God in us and through us. If you follow football, you know that John Gruden could be example A of this in the last couple of weeks. He's the ex-Raiders coach, and his emails managed to put down pretty much everybody. Women, blacks, homosexuals, and dozens of individuals by name. He is not the only one, merely the one who got caught and revealed. So what about us? Is your speech, here's the key, helpful for building up others? It's not to vent. It's not to put down. It's not to criticize unless it's helpful criticism to the person directly involved. Is your speech helpful for building others up? Now, the standard here is twofold. Number one, what you say has to be true. That's point number one. And, and, and number two, is it helpful? That's point here number four. That's the biblical standard for speech. What I say, what I write, what I post, what I share, what I preach has to be both true and helpful. And if not, I zip my lip. The way of Jesus. Number five, Paul says that believers are to destroy what happens when I'm out of town. I didn't get proofread here. Um, destroy your bitterness, rage, and malice. Long-term unresolved anger, which is point two, turns ugly, and it will destroy us. We will never live the Jesus way if we carry bitterness and rage in our hearts. 
Now, sadly, again, this is common. I hope what you're seeing is the way of Jesus and the way of the world are diametrically opposed, and we cannot live in both worlds. And so believers are called to destroy any bitterness, rage, and malice. It's common everywhere. It's at the heart of racism. It's why we can't resolve issues politically in our country. There's too much bitterness towards the other party. It's at the heart of most family drama. I'm mad not at what you did now, but what you did years ago. People carry it against parents, against children, against partners, against exes, against kids, against bosses, and even against previous churches. And it'll destroy who you are from the inside out. And so believers are called to destroy any bitterness, rage, and malice. Now, this is not a counseling session. This is not therapy. But let me give you three quick steps to destroy it in your life. Number one, you've got to want to. You really have to have a heart. I'm tired of being mad. I'm tired of being angry. I'm tired of being at the center of drama. I'm tired of living life. I I can't be around them. I can't be around them. I've got to be careful around them. You really got to want to get rid of it. And and I would say 90% of people who are carrying bitterness and rage and malice enjoy it. It's destroying them, but they like it. I don't want to forgive. I hate them is the attitude there. So step one is you, you got to want because you're a Christian and you want to be like Jesus. So, so number one, you've got you to want it. Number two, you need to take it to God and tell him, honestly, I'm tired of being mad. My kids, my parents, my, my, my ex, my church, my whatever. I'm tired of being mad and I want your help. If you have those two things, then any competent Christian counselor and maybe even a Christian friend can help you destroy it. But you've got to want it, you've got to ask for God's help. And you can get rid of it. You don't have to carry it around anymore. This is not just advice, this is a command, and, and that's what you do. You decide, I don't want to be that way anymore, you take it to God. And then you talk it through with friends, counselors, pastors, um, who can help you set it aside. Number six and number seven. I'm going to take these two together because these are the positives instead of the prohibitions that Paul gave us. Number six is be kind and compassionate. And number seven is walk in love and forgiveness like Jesus. So when it comes to the Jesus way, understand that you look to Jesus. He's the ultimate example. Do not look at today's world. Do not look at today's leaders. Do not look at others in the church. Do not look primarily to your pastor or any other example. Look to Jesus himself. Walk in love like Jesus. Walk in forgiveness like Jesus. Be kind and compassionate like Jesus. And so if you want to know what these words mean, you look to Jesus. Let me give you a couple of examples from the life of Jesus. You see in in Jesus a beautiful example It includes everything I've said. It includes honesty, compassion, kindness, forgiveness, and love. When you look to John chapter 8, the story of the adulterous woman. She was brought before Jesus. The law said stone her, but he knew the hypocrisy of people who love to condemn others. And so he pointed out their sin. Let those without sin cast the first stone. Then he looked at her, 
acknowledged her sin, but refused to condemn her. Go and sin no more. He, he didn't overlook it. No, what she did was sin. You need to go and, and sin no more, and I will not condemn you, and I will not put you down because I love you, and I'm willing to forgive you. And that is the way of Jesus, and that is the way we are to live. Do you remember another story? You remember the story of the woman who anointed Jesus with very costly perfume? Do you know where Jesus was when that story occurred? Because we, we, we tell her story a lot. We sing songs about it, and we should. It's a beautiful story. But we often overlook Matthew 26 says where Jesus was at the time. He was in the home of Simon. There's many Simons in the Bible. And so Matthew points out he was in the home of Simon the leper. Most rabbis hung out with the rich, the important, the praiseworthy. Jesus hung out with and loved the poor, the sick, the lepers, the crippled, the widows, the sinners. That's real kindness and compassion. Not just to friends, but to strangers and even enemies. And that's what we talk about when we say be kind and compassionate and walk in love like Jesus. Because we often make the excuse, well, I do it to my friends. That's the way of the world. Great friendships develop even among hardened criminals who are unrepentant in prison. We walk in love and forgiveness like Jesus. We're kind and compassionate, not just to friends, but to all people like Jesus. Number seven, number eight, is that believers run from sexual immorality. There can't be even a hint, Paul says, of sexual immorality or impurity. Now, I want you to understand this. Believers are not prudes. We are not opposed to sexuality. The Bible is very clear that sex was God's idea, not the devil's and not the world's. But God created it as an incredible thing between a husband and a wife. And anything beyond that, before that, in addition to that, or in contrary to that, is sexual immorality. So understand where, where, where we come from. Sex is not a bad thing. It is a great thing. It is designed by God. He, he designed that as an act of intimacy as well as an act of procreation between a husband and a wife. And it's a good thing. It's a God thing. But anything outside of that is sexual immorality. And so we're to run from that. And number nine, we are to run from greed. In the same sentence, as he talks about sexual immorality, he said that there should not be even a hint of greed. Greed is an intense and selfish desire, usually for wealth or power, or for the things that money and control can bring. Greed is me. Generosity is about you. Selfishness, it's all about me. Selflessness, it's not about me. It's about what I can do for you. 
and they're diametrically opposed. And so either we live for me or we live for God and for others. And so we are to run from any hint of greed in our lives. And for number 10, I'm going to borrow a phrase from my mom who got it from my grandma. And so this phrase itself is not biblical, but, but it describes what Paul is talking about very well when he said, there shall be no potty mouths, nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Your tongue can offer kindness, grace, mercy, and gratefulness. Or tongues can offer profanity, hatred, put-downs, obscenity, racism, dirty jokes, and vileness. Listen to a grown man talk when he's not in church, and you will get a great glimpse into who he is, the way he talks, the things he says. When he's not around church, when he's not trying purposely to clean it up to look good, that will tell you on the inside who it is. Now, I'm well aware that this is harder for some than from others. Because some of you grew up in a family where the vile was the norm. And if that's your case, you need to understand that that's the way of the world. And the way of Jesus, you need to learn a new way of speech and a new way of talk. So no potty mouths. Now listen, before I conclude, I need to be faithful to the text and listen carefully to this verse. Of this you can be sure. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. The words are very clear. He gives us enough descriptions and commands for us to diagnose ourselves. Am I a believer? Or am I not a believer? And he warns us of the empty words, the excuses, and the sayings that minimize the truth. If you are a believer, then you have made a commitment to live like a believer. You're not perfect. No one but Jesus is. But that's your standard. That's your goal. That's what you're working toward. That's what you're asking God to do in your life. And you're very purposely taking these commandments and not refusing them, but abiding by them. And Paul is very clear, and we can't talk our way out of it. This is not you. You're not a believer. And you have no inheritance from God. So, so listen, how do you live the Jesus life? I'm going to give you two things that you need to do. What's next? Number one, I'm going to ask you to check your heart. Because understand what I'm telling you. I'm not asking you to improve your image. I'm not asking you to bite your tongue more. I'm not asking you to work hard to look like a Christian. I'm asking you to be one. Because I want you to understand something. You can't control your tongue or your outward actions until your heart is right with God. 
You will work hard your whole life and you will fail miserably because your heart isn't right with God. The fight to look like a Christian when you're not one is a losing battle. And so these 10 things that I've given you, they can describe you only if in your heart you have said yes to God. And so there comes a time for each of us to make that decision to follow Jesus. And, 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 and this is specific, especially to some of us who grew up in church. When we see what the Christian life is and we realize we're failing at it miserably and we've been trying really hard, then we need to go back to the beginning and realize I'm not a Christian. That's not a put down. That, that's just a truth. If you're not a Christian, you need to admit that and recognize it and come before God and honestly ask him to come into your heart and life and forgive you of your sins and change your heart. And there comes a time for each of us to do that. So understand what I'm asking of you today. I am not asking you to change your behavior. God will do that in your life as you get your heart right with God. I'm asking you to change your heart and put your faith in Jesus. And then he will begin the work to turn you into someone who looks like, loves like, acts like, thinks like Jesus. Your heart has to change before your behavior. And then you commit to Jesus. And there comes a time for each of us where we need to be willing to say without hesitation, without excuses, I believe in you and therefore I will follow you in all things. No pretense. No more trying to be good, just trying to be good. Change my heart, forgive my sin, change my character. And I will follow you. I shared a meal with friends years ago. It was a good meal. They wouldn't let me do anything, couldn't even line up and, you know, get the food. They just had to sit down and they, they served a nice plate of food in front of us. And I remember they had roast beef and bread and asparagus and baked potato. And after the prayer, it was a Christian group, after the prayer, I picked up my knife to cut into my baked potato and I realized, man, this thing is as hard as a rock. So I went on to the, the roast beef and, and the asparagus and, and everything else, and I came back towards the end of the meal to the, the baked potato, and I got my knife and tried to cut it, and it was still as hard as a rock. And then I realized that everybody was looking at me and laughing at me. It was a rock that looked exactly like a baked potato, and they were all in the joke except for me. It looked like a potato. It wasn't one. I am not asking you to look like a Christian. I'm asking you to be one. No amount of baking or cooking, nothing short of a miracle could turn a rock into a potato. And nothing short of a miracle, the one provided by Jesus on the cross and that comes through faith in him, can change your heart. I am not asking you to leave this place saying, I want to be better. I'm asking you to leave today fully committed 
that Jesus is in your heart. You put your faith and trust in him, and you're allowing him to change you. Because you cannot and will not be able to do it by yourself. Don't just go be good. Follow Jesus. That's where it starts. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church. If we can help you in any way, please contact us. Our information is on our webpage at abcaz.net or you can call us at 623-932-2723. Thank you and may God bless you and your family.